This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, ladies, uh, we, we are start, we're starting our chapter uh, 16 on page 50. And we're discussing being happy. Right? So, it's we said before, it's all in your mind. It's all to do with your free choice. No one can make you happy. Nobody can make you happy. Even Hashem can already make us happy. He can give us things to be happy about. But we have to decide to be happy. We have to decide to be happy. And what if He doesn't give you the things that you want to do? We can happy? still decide to be happy. <laughs> and we can still force Good. ourselves and ensure that we are happy. How do you do that? It's oh, a free will decision. Absolutely. Think about the positive things in your life. People don't realize just the fact that we are alive. The fact that we are alive, we won the lottery. We wake up in the morning, you're alive, you open your eyes. The person's going to appreciate it and say, I won the lottery. It's amazing. I was, I was hearing yesterday, this is interesting, there are four angels around a person. Right? The, the, the four main angels. What are the four main angels? Gabriel. Gabriel. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Uriel. Right? The four main major angels. It says those four major angels would, would beg to take the place of a human being just to wear to fill it. Just one? Just to wear to fill it. You know, realize, realize we have the power to do mitzvot. A woman uh, lighting uh, Shabbat candles. The angel was in bed, would love to take the place of that woman lighting a Shabbat candle. Mm-hmm. We have so much to rejoice for. We don't really realize what we have. We have the ability to serve God in this world with our free choice. We get credit millions of times more than angels. Because the angels are robots. They're not free choice. When you do a mitzvah with your free choice, you just won the lottery. So we have to appreciate it. So a person has a life. We're alive. We can say, Modeani, you just won the lottery just by saying, Thank you, Hashem. Just by saying, no, on one line, but it's one of the lottery. The fact that we're alive is a tremendous thing we have to be so happy about. We're alive, thank God we're alive. A million times. But not only that, but a lot of people today, unfortunately, have the li- li- lines. What does that mean, lines? This is not okay, and this is not okay, and this is not okay. And therefore, if this happens to me, it's not okay, and therefore I'm going to be miserable. They have a whole list of, this is not okay. It's not okay. And it's all what a person is saying to themselves. A person goes to, say, fill up for gas, and they're, and they're waiting two minutes for the guy. It's not okay. It's a terrible service. It's terrible. So you say yourself inside and said, it's terrible service, it's terrible service, it's not okay, it's not okay. It's true, it's true. And the guy gets very upset. Right. <laughs> or waiting in a traffic light in Highland Park, it drives me crazy. It's not okay, it's not okay. <laughs> so what you do is you have to say Shema Yisrael. Say Shema Yisrael. Do something with. positive. <laughs> do something well, positive. Say a psalm. It's worse, right? No, I think it's worse here. I think Highland Park is worse here. Okay. Okay, so uh, the lights, lights, okay. You can drive here to Brooklyn and get lights over here. Okay. So anyway, so person says to themselves, it's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay. Are they going to be happy? No. No, they're not happy. The weather's bad, the weather's terrible. The weather's, it's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay. Are you going to be happy? No. So a person's got to what they do is minimize their it's not okay. And that's what the chapter talks about. But there are different levels of being happy, Rabbi. Def- the weather cannot definitely, bear with something. There are definitely different levels. That, that happens. But what we're talking about is the negative things that stop us from being happy. What are the negative things? And the answer is these things which are not okay in our lives. So what a person has to do is develop a big threshold of what's okay. Okay, this is okay. Yeah. It's not, not so okay, but it's okay. What can I do? I live with it. I live with this. I live with this. I live with this. I can live with this. So that's what he says. Happy people have a vast amount of things that they consider to be okay. You want to be happy? Make a longer list of what's okay. Even though it may not be okay, add it to your list of okay. This way you won't get upset every time you do it. So we all have our limits. But if we increase those limits a little bit, 
will be happy. This guy should not have talked to me like that. I can't take it anymore. He really crossed the boundaries. You know what? If I extend the limits of my boundaries, okay. <coughs> instead of getting unhappy and miserable and angry and this and that, we have to be able to accept and tolerate. You know, it's interesting. The word for toleration in Hebrew is very, very interesting. It's savlanut. You know, when you're going, when you're driving in Israel, when you're driving in Israel and the guy behind you is honking, you go like this in your mirror. Savlanut. You put your hand outside the window. That's what they do, right? You put your hand outside the window and say, savlanut, savlanut. Where does the word savlanut come from? Sevel, which we use in the Haggadah, right? Sevel means burden. It's a burden. To be sovel is to bear burden. Because savlanut, patience, is so hard. It's like bearing a burden. I'm going to bear the person's burden. This guy's wearing me out. I'm going to have patience with this person. And that's called savlanut. Okay? Savlanut is bearing someone's burden. Patience. Patience. It's so hard to have patience because you have to bear it. Just slow down. Bear it. Bear it. It's like a weight on a person. So that's tolerance as well. It's like a burden on the person. When I have to tolerate someone who I don't like, it's like a burden on me. Raises my blood pressure. So that's what you have to do is try and get to the point where, okay, I'll, I'll extend myself a little bit more. I'll lower my levels of uh, okayness and this way it's okay as well. I don't feel it's like a real big drag on me. Because once I feel it's a drag on me, it's a pressure on me, and I'm not going to be happy. Right? You have a relative staying in your house, and they sort of overstay their welcome. What are you going to do? Okay, another day. I'll, I'll play it by the day. Another day is not so bad. But it depends on how a person's perspective. person says, you know, another two weeks of this, I can't take anymore. Play day by day, day by day, one more day, one more day, one more day. That's... So a person's got to be able to adjust themselves so they don't get frustrated and angry and upset at every little thing that happens. That we have to extend our limits. What? Rel- that relative could be helpful. It's another pair of hands to... Uh, it depends on how helpful that relative is. Usually. Some relatives are not so helpful. I handle it differently, Rabbi. You handle it different? Yes. Okay. I tell them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. In a nice way. Okay. Sometimes sense. they don't want to. They say, well, I have no place to go. Please uh, give me another two weeks. Another this. Okay. What are you going to do? You can't just throw them out on the street. So a person's got to be careful. So, But again, we have to be able to tolerate and we have to increase our toleration by saying another day. And that's, that's really a very important technique. Living one's life day by day. You know, another day, another day. And that's what really Hashem tried to teach us by the story of the man, the manna. What's the story of the manna? Every day, where's my food coming from? So if you think about two days' time, you have nothing to eat. Right. This morning, the manna fell. What is God teaching us? To live by day, day by day and have trust in Him. Every day. Imagine, what a big test. For 40 years, the Jews lived not knowing where their food is coming from, only trusting in God that tomorrow there will be food. Amazing. Shabbat was the happiest day. Why? They had food twice. They had double food Friday. They didn't have to worry about two days. Didn't worry about two days. That's why we have two halot on the table. That's the reason. So, but uh, we have to try and extend ourselves to that kind of issue that every day is another day. Every day is another day. Live day by day and think, you know what? This way it's only one more day of uh, this pest being around me or this trouble being around me. It's another day and then tomorrow I'll deal with it again and tomorrow I'll deal with it again. This way it's not one big lump. It's split into small parts. And that's a secret of success. I'll, I'll handle today. Today, all I'm thinking about is today. All I worry about today is today. That's it. Tomorrow we look after it. Tomorrow God is great. Hashem is great. So it's very important.
Now, but you understand, you know, today the refugee, refugees are in the news. But we have to realize Jews have been refugees for a long time. And just recently, talking to the, if you talk to an Iranian Jew, the Iranian Jews or the Russian Jews who had to come here with nothing really. Right. You know, the Iranian Jews, they're telling me these, these hair-raising stories of how girls had to be smuggled out of Iran. Girls got smuggled out of Iran by these guys they didn't even know. Some of them raped, some of them killed, but a lot of them came out. And they tell the hazardous stories that how they're being smuggled out in the van and the trucks and then going on camels. And, and have a guy here whose father passed away. His father had to go through Pakistan. He lived in Pakistan for over a year. Imagine Jews going right through all these countries and come here with nothing, zero, not allowed to take anything out. So, so how do they handle it? How do they manage with the pressures? And, and, and the answer is, you live by the day, you live by the hour. You don't live long period. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen in two years' time. No idea. So a person's going to adjust their limits to be able to accept and tolerate and ignore many of the things that irritate and annoy. Ignore it. Okay, it's annoyance. A mosquito. It's annoyance. Yeah. I can't take mosquitoes, by the way. I just get out of bed in the middle of the night. Okay, I'm going to get that thing. But, uh, <laughs> but if it's Shabbat, what are you going to do? It's Shabbat. Now what are you going to do? Can't do anything. Can't do Go sleep in a different room, go run away, or just cover your head with a, with a sheet and, and try and hide. That's what I usually do. Okay. So you've got to accept, you've got to tolerate, you've got to ignore many of the things that annoy a person. If you ignore them, they go away, sort of thing. They don't go away, but, but at least they don't bother you anymore because you're ignoring them. So that's, so that's a very important. Today is a thing day about batteries. I don't know what's going on with these batteries. But I'm not going to annoy me. <laughs> Nothing's working over here. Okay. Are you annoyed? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on this uh, level. I'm trying to raise my level of not, being, not getting frustrated. I'm not getting frustrated over here. But uh, I'm not going to smash this. Okay. Here we are. Okay, now it's working. Just change the battery. That's what you have to do. See? Instead of getting frustrated, you just change the battery. It's very simple. Okay. So we have to develop our attitudes and reactions that enable us to accept, to tolerate, to ignore many of the things that annoy and irritate people. So many small things that are... You know, today in America, we have very low levels of tolerance. <clears throat> Every small thing, because everything's meant to be perfect. Right? The food is meant to be good, so now the food is missing some salt. Missing salt! It's bad! What's going on? Put some salt. Just take some salt. Right. People go crazy, because small things. Why? That chair is in the wrong place. Can you move it back, please? And that little piece of paper. Oh, that paper. Oh, it's terrible. Paper on the floor. Pick it up. No, That's all. Calm down. It's just a piece of paper. You know, if you raise children, you have to know that the house is children. Uh, everything's around. You've got to be, have very uh, high levels of tolerance because children are all around. Grandchildren. So, grandchildren, yeah. So, some people need everything to be just so. It's got to be exactly the right temperature. It's got to be the right thing, you know. Have people come into the shul, they always try and fiddle with the thermostat because they're used to a certain temperature. So at home it's so and so temperature. They come inside, they want the shul to be the same temperature as home. So sometimes you put the temperature of the thermostat in a box. Everyone comes along, so this guy comes along. In the winter he wants it 75, in the summer he wants it 69. <laughs> so what's going on here? In the winter he wants 75, in the winter somebody wants 69. So you're, 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 every time you come in, you push the thing. What are you going to do? So everyone's different. They want to just show. So that's why, because people have low tolerance levels. Everything has to be perfect. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's, so that person's going to be much more unhappy when things are not perfect. It's very hard when you're going on a plane because they have no control on the thermostat. Sometimes it's too cold. It's too hot. It's mm-hmm. So you take a blanket. They give you a blanket. Okay, and if it's too hot, what you do you take off a few layers if you can. Whatever. So there's nothing you can do. 
So a person is going to think there's nothing I can do. This, this is the weather. I'm not going to get frustrated. Tell my house. I'm my own boss. I can put the thermostat wherever I want. I go in the shul. I'm not the boss anymore. Hashem is the boss in the shul. But I can do whatever I want. So it's very, it's very hard. People get upset and they get annoyed and they get da, 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 and they get frustrated. And what happens is they lose their cool and they're not happy. So what a person has to do is try and adjust their levels of what's okay and what's not okay. It's also okay. Okay, I'll add it to my list of okays. It's okay, it's okay. Don't get frustrated, don't get upset. It's... Yes? I was going to say, it's better if you don't grow up spoiled. 100%. And that's why it's very important. The first thing you have to teach a child is no. Actually, it's not the first. It's actually the second or third. The first thing you have to teach a child is Torah, Tzivalani Moshe, Morashe, Akilat Yaakov. The Torah is from Hashem, Shema Yisrael. And then you teach them no. So no. Teach them no at a very early age if they don't get a shock later on. The earlier they know the word no and they can't have everything they want, the better for the child. Because once a child feels they can have whatever they want, the first time they get no, it's like a big slap in the face and then they, they can't adjust to it. It takes a, a while. Especially when a child's older, 16, 15. Imagine, set, till then teenagers... The parents don't tell them no. And then when they get the no, they just, what? Chutzpah! Tell them no? I never heard of such a thing. No? It's impossible. My parents always say yes. Why haven't they said no now? It's a big slap in the face. So it's very important to get a child used to saying no. And plus, don't spoil the child. Don't spoil the child. Why? Because it's very, very hard to change habits afterwards. So for example, I know... The Yiddish expression, kenzayin erger. No. I don't know if you understand Yiddish. No, no. Kenzayin erger means... Could be worse. Abyssal. Okay. Let's not overdo it now, okay? It's not so bad. Consign air okay. could be worse. Okay. All right. And that helps you deal with things. Okay, thank you. I won't, I won't get upset. It's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So let's move on a little bit. So uh, basically, it's very important to teach a child no and not spoil the child. Uh, for example, you tell a ch- you kid Sunday mornings. The child has a very hard time getting up in the morning. Okay, so the parents say, okay, never. He's, he works all week. He's, he longs hard in school. He doesn't have any time off. Let him sleep late on Sunday morning. So 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, the child wakes up Sunday morning. You know how hard it's going to be for that child later on to change? He's so used to Sunday morning getting up at 11 o'clock. It's so hard to get up for a minion afterwards. You want to get up for a minion? You've got to work on it. It's so hard to get up because every Sunday morning, the guy's sleeping till 11 o'clock to the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Kids go to school now yeah, on Sundays. I know what I'm saying. Okay. So, even better. Same, but what about the girls? The girls yeah, are right. so, yes. I went, somebody was once going to give me a ride, and I said, if, it's, if the car is going to be too crowded, I, won't, I don't want to go with you. He said, no, I want my children to learn that they, should, they don't have to be so comfortable in the car. Okay. Like, they'll move over and they'll make room for you. Okay, it's good for the and kids, I, but I not about, but about for you. Maybe good for the kids, but not good for you. Okay. Okay. But it's, it's an idea. It's a very important idea to teach children and to volunteer and to give up their time to other people as well. It's very, very important. And the kids grow up and they, they grow up volunteering because the parents told them to volunteer. They taught them how to volunteer at a very early age. Right? Some, people, some parents are very good parents. They teach their children to, to volunteer, to give, and to help, and to be helpful in the house. You know, it says, Rav, uh, what's his name? Uh, Twersky. Doctor, Rabbi Doctor. Abraham, Abraham Twersky, right? He said that when he went to his, uh, his uh, daughter was getting married, he went to the, f- the in-law's house. What is he looking for? He says, I want to see if the father-in-law helps in the house. 
Mm-hmm. That was his thing. Because if, my, if the father-in-law is helping, then the son will probably right. follow, follow through. Right. Right. It's not always sure. true. It's not always true, but that's what he's looking for. But usually it is. This yeah, is true? That's all that bothered him? Not, not the all. Of course it's not the all, but it's the icing on the cake. It's the icing on the cake. I, I mean, thought he wanted to see how clean the house was. That's no. <laughs> Listen, the house could be clean just for a party, but that's it. Yeah, that's so you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't tell. There's the father-in-law helping, you know, slapping around things, lifting things up, putting things around. Okay. So uh, everything has to be just so. It's not a good attitude because then a person is more likely to get upset. So we have to increase and expand our tolerances uh, with people as well. So some people are very, very exact. They're very, uh, very, very demanding and highly critical of other people. And you get annoyed being around them because they're so critical of others. So either you want to avoid them or you just want to raise your okay level and say, listen, okay, I can manage this person for half an hour or an hour. I'll try and work on myself. I've got to work on myself. That person. Pardon? That's you love that person, you've got a rough life. It's not a joke. It's, it's very a test. It's a rough life. It's a test. It's a test. It's a, but that's one of the things you've got to look for before you get married. No, when you, after you're married. Well, after you're married, it's too late. But it happens, listen. You never know. It happens, and you never know, and you have to live with it, adjust, and uh, change yourself. Mm-hmm. Person's got to say every day, okay, it's not so bad. Uh, look at the, all the positives. Make a list of all the positives. You see, there's many positives. And there's a few negatives. Everyone has negatives. <clears throat> So better this than something else. Who knows? But it's one of the hardest things to do is live with a, a person who is, everything has to be exact. Right? Everything has to be in the right place, right time, everything there is clean. Okay, so we have to work on it. And then we have to work on ourselves. So it's interesting. Sometimes you have to learn Musa just to be around people. On yourself. You have to work on yourself to make yourself adjust. There's a beautiful story. Um, what's his name? Lev. Lev Lopian. Lev Lopian? Lev Lopian. Uh, she was the father of Eliyahu Lopian. Eliyahu Lopian wrote a book, Lev Eliyahu. Pure, amazing, Musar. Amazing book. I don't know what happened. We have it. We had it sometime in our library. I don't, haven't seen it for years. But if you see it, please let me know. Lev Eliyahu, it's called. Amazing book. And then he writes a story. He says, one of his students came to him one day. He says, Rabbi, please forgive me. He said, what for? I don't have anything to forgive you. He says, I spoke Lashon HaRa about you. He said, yeah. He said, what do you say about me? So he told him what he said. And the rabbi was very upset. He said really bad things about it. So he says, come back in two weeks. I can't forgive you right now. Come back in two weeks. He said, well, why can't you forgive me right now? I'll forgive you. Come back in two weeks. After two weeks, he comes back. He says, now I can forgive you. He said, Rabbi, what took you so long? He says, I had to learn Musar myself to change myself to be able to be a forgive you. Because I was so upset. I didn't want to say I forgive you because I didn't forgive you. But I had to work on myself to make this okay in my eyes so I could forgive you. I had to work on myself to forgive you. So it's a very important idea. That's what we're talking about over here. Changing the way one views others to be able to not to get upset. You have to change our views, change ourselves not to get upset. Why? Because this will normally make me upset. Now, how am I going to change? I've got to work on myself. And it happens all the time, raising children. You know, tolerances, the child breaks the bounds, and then we get really mad at a child. But, you know, the child's a child. Depends on the age, obviously. The child's a child. What are you going to do? You're going to get, I'm angry with the child. You can't throw out your child. What are you going to do? The answer is you've got to absorb it. We find this with the story of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, it says, does not rebuke his children at all till the day of his death. Right. Amazing. So he tells Reuven, gives him a very, very harsh rebuke. Reuven, Reuven the holders got the harshest rebuke. He's, like, he's flaky like water. Terrible, terrible rebuke. So Rashi says over there, Yaakovino is holding his tongue, biting his tongue for many years. Why? He says, if I rebuke my son Reuven, he's going to go and join Esav. Wow. Oh. Think about that. Sometimes you don't think. So 
Well, we, we're ready to rebuke someone, but where are they going to go? They're going to go and join the enemies against us. Who knows what's going to happen? So it's very important to adjust. In fact, he was biting his tongue for so long until, until he was 137 years old. He was biting his tongue not to talk, not to say it, but he really had it inside him to rebuke Reuven, but he kept himself quiet. So that's, he was adjusting himself, because he knew it's not going to help. It's going to turn, make things worse. So it's very, very hard to do this. So we have to change ourselves, adjust ours. This is not okay, this is not okay, this is not okay. And you know what, people lose their jobs because they said this is not okay to themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they fight with the boss, or they fight with someone else, and they get thrown out of the job. And people lost their jobs like that. And it was something small, it wasn't something big, and they could have kept it. It was a very good job, very good pay, very good conditions. And because they got upset, it was ego, basically. Our egos can destroy us. Our egos can destroy us, and that's why humility is really very, very important. And sometimes by those, those situations, we learn humility. He lost his job, imagine. Now he's very humble. Why? Because he lost his good job, and now he's got a job which pays half the pay, and uh, the benefits are much lower. And he's realized, oh boy, I threw this away. I didn't have to get mad. I didn't have to go fight. I didn't have to. I didn't have to. I just kept quiet. I kept quiet. I've been okay. So it's very important to learn this lesson early. How do I become happy? Is I have to raise my tolerance level of things around me. If I raise my tolerance level just a little bit, I can get along with people. If I raise my tolerance level a little bit, I'll be not so frustrated. If I raise my tolerance level a bit, I won't, my blood pressure will not go up so high. So it's very, very important to understand this and learn this and especially when dealing with people, because there are people who are highly critical of other people, they get annoyed at minor trivial matters. <coughs> Do not be one of them for your own benefit. Develop a sense of perspective. And what's the perspective? It's a very important perspective, because we all have a mission in our lives. Each one of us has their mission. I don't know what your mission is. I don't know. You know my, I'm trying to figure out what my mission is. But we all have to figure out our missions. We all have a mission in life. Hashem created us for a mission. We have to figure out a mission. What is our mission? So basically, let's, let's generalize. Let's go around the table. What is our mission in life? Who wants to start? Mrs. Rosen, To follow what Hashem wants us to do. Very good. To follow what Hashem wants us to do. So how do you know what Hashem wants you to do? So you learn the Torah, and the Torah tells you what. Right, very good, okay. Number two, what else? What is our mission in life? So the Vilna says something very, very important. He says our mission in life is to fix our character traits. Smart person. Very hard. Fix our character traits. Because the character traits are the mechanism by which our soul comes through to the world. What does that mean? How we interact with other people is through our character traits. So a person is a generous person, they'll, they'll be givers. A person is a very selfish, that's our character trait. So the power we're getting from God comes through us, through our character traits. So our character traits basically is the, is the mechanism by which we relate to the world. It's the interface. So if we perfect our character traits, the, the, the energy will come through and go to the right places. If we don't perfect our character traits, nothing will come through. It's a dead end. The pipes are closed. So, so that is a very, very important idea. And that's why it's so important to fix that. So we're talking about now happiness because a person's character traits are flawed. They're not happy. Why? Because they can't tolerate other people. That's a, that's a flawed character trait. We have to build ourselves up to the point where I can stand this and I can stand this. And this way a person gets stronger, not weaker. If you can stand this and bear this. So it's an important idea is to bear it and stand it and develop the strength of character and develop a sense of perspective. How important is this for me to fulfill my mission in life? I'm going to get angry now, but is that important for me to fulfill my mission in life by getting angry? Am I fulfilling my mission in life by getting angry? Am I fulfilling my mission in life by getting frustrated? No. It's not to do with the mission in life. You're here to fix yourself. So this may be a help for me to fix myself. This may be what I need to fix myself. And that's what, unfortunately, 
That's what happens. And so you ask God, why did this happen? Hashem says, I think you need this to fix yourself. I don't need it. I don't want it. You may not want it, but you may need it. So not everything that happens to us is because we want it. We definitely don't want some things. But sometimes Hashem says, this is what you need right now. I was talking about earlier this, the two different names of God. Right? Uh, on one side, the name of God, Yudkevavke, right? But we don't say it. We're not allowed to say Yudkevavke. We can't say God's name the way it's written. Why not? Because God says in the Torah, it says, Zeshemi Leolam, This is my name, Leolam. Leolam is missing a vav. Rabbi say, Lealem, to hide. This is my name to be hidden. But this is the name you use. So we use one name, Alav Dalad Nun Yud, Adonah. I'm not saying it. And Yud Kevavke, we don't say. There's two names. What's the difference between the two names? Why can't we say? Why does God have a name we can't say? Doesn't make sense, right? The J witnesses, they say it. I'm not going to say it. But it's not really a J either. They're wrong. Thank God they're wrong. Thank God they don't know. Thank God. Don't tell them. Thank God they're wrong. Don't tell them. Okay, so we don't say it. Only the Kohen Gadol could say it. When these blessings, the, the Kohanim in the, in the Beit HaMikdash, when they blessed the people in the Brikat Kohanim, they would say the actual name of God. They wouldn't, they wouldn't. But later on, it says when people got corrupted, they tried to copy them, they stopped saying it. Only the Kohen Gadol, and he was drowned out. All, everyone, all the other Kohanim would say it loudly, and he would say it softly, so no one could hear the real name of God. We don't know how to say it. Rabbi? Yes? I know how to say something in English. Oh, don't say it, don't say it. No, no, oh, something. good. That, but you'll say it in Hebrew, as long as the candle burns, we could fix... Oh, yeah, that's something else. That's not in the Torah. That's, 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 that's a saying, I think, Rabbi Shalat Salanta. Rabbi Shalat Salanta says that. Mm-hmm. As long as the candle burns, yeah. He went to a town one day, and everything was dark. And he didn't know where he was going to stay. Thank you. He didn't know where he was going to stay, and he found there was a light on. And there was a cobbler. He knocks on the door, he says, I need a place to stay for the night. He says, sure, please come in. He says, but tell me, he says, why? how come you're still working? He says, as long as the candle is still lit, there's still time to fix. So he says, oh, that's Musar. As long as the candle is lit, which means as long as the person's alive, still has time to fix their soul. It's never too late. Even on a person's deathbed, they can always do Teshuba. The Rambam says, even on the, death, even on the deathbed, they can do Teshuba. Even on the deathbed. So it's never too late. As long as there's life, there's hope. That's another way of saying it, right? As long as there's life, there's hope. We have hope, we have life. Things will get better. Listen, look at people who survived the Holocaust. I mean, you, have to, you have to really admire them. They're alive, they got married, they had children, and now look at the they have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I know a guy here, and we have in the shul. We're so lucky, a guy in the shul. Holocaust survived, 14 years old, he's in Auschwitz. That's his bar mitzvah present. Right. And six years he buries, he, I can't mm. talk about it, but he had, today he has a grandchild who's a rabbi. Mm. And he has great-grandchildren. And great-grandchildren, all Shomrit Torah. It's mm. such beautiful to see, but can you imagine he'd have given up hope? Mm. Never given up hope. Baruch Hashem. Thank God. He married the right wife, Baruch Hashem. So that's very important. What did the wife? She really kept him going. She kept him. Did she go through the camps too? No, thank God, no. So how important... was in a work camp. How important was this for me to fulfill my life's mission? So a person's got to know, I'm going to, get, I'm going to go off at a tangent over here. If I get upset and I get frustrated and I get this, I'm going off a tangent. My life mission, where's my life mission? You know what? The, the troubles in life should increase a person's emunah and bitachon. It really does. You pray more, you pray harder. <coughs> you need something, you pray even better. We all need something. We're going to use that need to develop a bigger relationship with God. Because why did God give us a need? The fact that God gives a need means He wants to hear from us more often. That's the reason. That's really the answer. The answer is He wants to hear from us. We have to give give more. We have to we have to create that bond. And it's like a, a child. When the child needs more, they come to the parent more often. The child doesn't need. It happens to me all the time. And the kid uh, the kid needs something because all of a sudden you get a call. 
Daddy, I miss you. Yeah, I know you miss me. Right? What do you need now? What do you need? So I said, I need something. Okay, now I know. Okay, good. That makes sense. Okay. And it's so the, hard to change your basic nature. It's so hard. It's very hard, but that's our mission in life. Our mission in life is to change for the better. Not change for the worse, change for the better. And that's our mission. So person's got to know these are tests. We all have tests in life. And it's very easy to talk, but it's very hard when you're sitting in the test to pass that test. And who gives us the test? Okay? Yeah, everything sure. that happens. Usually it's people. People are God's messengers. We don't really realize. They're angels. They look at people. The angels came down as people, right? What is that, what is that telling us? The people are the mission. The mission comes from people. And today we don't the know. Test is from God. In other words, the test is from God, but through other people. People come to you and they say, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Leave me alone already. I'm, I'm sick of people trying to bother me, all right? That's usually a person's... Uh, depends. He doesn't but give you the good qualities. He gives you the qualities, but he gives the qualities which are there for you to work on and develop and increase and develop expand. them. That's right, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the mission in our life. That's a Vildagon. Vildagon says, our mission in life is to fix our character traits. Amazing. That's a very hard. That's one of the hardest things to do. Fix the character trait because... We have to approach it scientifically. How many people make a list of the character traits? We went, we had this class before. But you have to go through the character traits and see this is where I stand in this character trait. And the Rambam talks about it also in Hilchot Deyot. He has, it's the only halachic work with a section called the laws of character traits. The laws of character traits. The Rambam has your law. You can download it today for free. Go to the internet. Look over there. Rambam's laws of character traits. Deyot. Hilchot Deyot. You get it out. So why is this class not open to the husbands? You're basically preaching to 50 people. Can I know who the boss is? Uh, I speak to the boss. <laughs> I want to speak to the boss. There's not enough room. You know the joke of the, the, the lion? The lion had a wedding, right? And he invited all the animals to the wedding. And a mouse comes, and a mouse says, Mazel tov, dear lion. My brother, he has a check for you. And the lion got very upset. You're my brother. Call me your brother. You're a mouse. Okay. <laughs> He said, before I got married, I was also a lion. Uh, <laughs> your wife should only know you. <laughs> so, we know who the boss is, right? I speak to the boss. Okay. So, a person could ask themselves before they get frustrated and angry, and, is this important for me to fulfill my life's mission? Is this what I'm here for? Is this what God put me into this world to get frustrated, angry, and upset? The clearer you are about this and which values are important to you, the easier would it be for you to accept and cope well with trivial and minor aspects of life. It's so hard. But it makes it easy, right? Because if we focus on this, it's very important. The person says, you know what, I can't take this anymore. I really can't take this anymore. And then you think about, what is my purpose in life? What is my purpose in life? My purpose in life is to become a better person. Then this is not really a major obstacle. This is not a major obstacle. So then a person got to change themselves. Rabbi, I yes. have a question. Please. Where is it written? It's still bothering me. 137 years, he didn't tell his children anything. Is that true? It's Rashi. Rashi brings it down. Rashi brings In Parshat Vaichi. In Parshat Vaichi, Rashi is quoting a Midrash. Because it's, it's a, a Midrash. Because the, okay. well, wait, wait a second. Well, the Torah says when he died, before he died, he blessed all his children. But some of the children didn't get blessings. They got rebukes. <coughs> Reuven, Shimon, Levi, the first three got rebukes. And so Rashi asked the question. He's just asking on the entourage. He's trying to explain. Why did Yaakov wait? We don't find he rebuked him till then. And then Rashi brings down that Midrash that because he was scared, Reuven is going to go and join Esau. So it's interesting. But the Torah itself says he rebuked Reuven. It doesn't say he rebuked him before that. It just says right now. So let's go to the... He gives an example in the book on page 51 of a person who is really um, exact 
and wanted everything his way. When I was a child, I demanded my food to be prepared just right for me. It's very hard, you know, imagine. Some, some mothers really spoil their kids. Yeah. What would you like for dinner? What would you like for dinner? I was like, it's okay, is it okay, is it not okay? So you spoil the kid. You just spoil the kid. You know, Desla says, um, in those days, yeshiva boys, they were, there was no dormitories, there was no, you, you stayed with someone. And we have, where would you have your meals? Whoever would offer you a meal, you'd just go, and there was, a, there was like a rotor system for meals. So you'd go to this one for lunch, you go to this one for dinner, da, 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 da. and his luck was he went to a certain woman for lunch every day. He said she served him the same meal every day for lunch, but after he finished, he said he could eat anything. So he was grateful to her. Everything tasted good after that. <laughs> but what happens if you get what you feel like every day, then nothing tastes good. You, if you don't get what you want, you nothing tastes good anymore. That's our trouble. So he says, when I was a child, the man of my food just be prepared just for me. Right. It was the same with everything in my life. My clothing, my room, the weather, how people speak to me, and the list went on and on. My mother could not tolerate the temper tantrums I often threw in order to get her to do whatever I demanded. I've seen this. This happens. This is America. This is the American dream where the children throw tantrums because they don't get what they want. And then you, the parents give in because they can't take the tantrum. Wrong. Wrong. Take the tantrum when they're young. And they want to tantrums when they're old. Because when tantrums get older, it's even worse. Gotta break that habit. And they're testing every time the children test. He tell them no, goodbye. No. Thank God for good children. Thank God for good children. And that's the advantage of having a lot of children. Why? Because when there's a lot, they know they can't get. <laughs> you know? There's not enough in the pot. There's not enough in the pot. This one was this one, you try to be really below. Not enough. But you have a few pair of kids, one or two, and they go mad. Because they see that the parents want to give, the parents love. And they want some some kids are really manipulative. I'm not talking about all kids. But this is just a very, very, very harsh example over here. I often threw tantrums in order to get my mother to do whatever I demanded. My mother's giving in to me, trained me to make a fuss about whatever I did not like. I, nip- I manipulated people with my out-of-control behaviors. But deep down I knew I could control others to meet my needs. When it was time for me to get married, I wanted to marry someone who would get, go out of his way to make me happy. All potential candidates were attested to see if they were devoted to make me happy. Everyone I met failed my test. They felt my demands were unreasonable and unacceptable. Finally, I met someone I wanted to marry. We were engaged, and I appreciated how flexible he was. I would tell him what I wanted, and he would be, do whatever I asked. Several weeks before the wedding, he cancelled our engagement. You have such arbitrary rules for making yourself happy. You demand I walk on eggshells. Maybe you can find someone who will keep bending to make you happy. But it won't be me. I'm glad I'm, I, I realized early enough I can't take it anymore. Good. I was shocked and stunned. I felt furious at him for doing this to me. Then I realized I did it to myself. This is really, I don't think it's a true story. But hopefully not. I really hope not. But it just shows how the extremes work. I realized I needed to be much more flexible. To change my patterns, I tested my own limits of tolerance. I engaged in a strict schedule of depriving myself of things I used to think I could not do without. I cut down drastically on what I ate. For three whole months, I roughed it, living as ascetically as possible. After three months, I started living normally. My going to the extreme showed that I could live happily much less than I ever thought. Now I'm ready for marriage and life. That's an extreme Doesn't example. Doesn't say whether she got married. Or I don't think it's a true story. I hope not. I really hope not. But it could be. <coughs> it could be. Unfortunately, today it's happening. And it's fortunate. Probably why the divorce rate is so high in this country. Yes. Uh, it's also, it depends how you raise your children. 
we have to we we are the parents. We have to raise our children, and we have to tell our children how to raise our, their children as well. Sometimes, you know, you go see a, you, you, you see a grandchild, you want to raise you want to smack the grandchild. You you got to hold off. Don't smack the grandchild. <laughs> okay, so that's it. So that's the answer. That's one chapter we just did. What? Let's recap a little bit. And the answer is we have to raise in our minds what's okay. If we say to ourselves, it's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay, we're going to be miserable, we're going to be frustrated, we're going to be angry, and we're going to lose our joy in life. It's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay, it's not okay. You see people today, amazing, with, they're walking around with a, with a crutch, they're walking around with this, and they're smiling. How can it be? And the answer is, we've got to adjust to life. We'll take it, we've got gears with a pinch, and move on and be happy and say, listen, it could be always worse. It could always be worse. Thank God I'm still alive. Thank God I'm still alive. Baruch Hashem. You see these people. Look at uh, Stephen Hawking. Lahabdil. I'm not a big fan of his. <laughs> but look at him. I mean, he's a paraplegic. He's one of the top astrophysicists, right? Cosmologists, astrophysicists. He's in a wheelchair. He's in diapers, for goodness sake. But he can blink his eye, and through the eye, he's talking to the world, and he's giving them these theories and some crazy lunatic theories. But some of them, are, you know, he's you a genius. Have to go as far as Stephen Hawking. Look at Karen. Uh, have you ever seen her not smiling? Her yeah. smile is Karen. beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to bring any examples, but I'm just saying. But uh, I'm just saying, it's like, what can a person achieve even in a wheelchair? So the guy's achieving. He's writing books. He's just, mm-hmm. he's one of the top people in the world. I mean, it's amazing what a person can do. So it just shows. Don't give up. He didn't give up. He could have just given up and said, look, I'm worthless, I'm useless. But he's giving lectures in Cambridge University, you're the voice box. Oh, it's hard to understand him. But here he is, top guy. It's amazing. So that's how. How do you do that? And the answer is he raised his level. What's tolerable? What's tolerable? What is tolerable for me? How can I manage As long as I'm alive, and I can move my voice, my voice box or my eyelids, I can still communicate the world. There's a joke. It's a horrible joke. Don't tell anyone this joke. It's a terrible joke. Uh, <laughs> Were you leading us with that? I want you to write the other one. Okay, so... Uh, We're walking out with happiness today. Okay, it's horrible. It's a horrible joke. It's, horrible. it's a rabbi joke. Okay, so the joke is like this. Okay, it's not a true story. Please, don't take this literally. The rabbi goes, it's the person in the hospital in the ICU. He goes and he stands there. And he stands next to the person and he's saying, how are you, how are you? He sees all of a sudden the guy's going crazy, he's like going blue in the face and he's, uh, you can't talk here, piece of paper, piece of paper, write it down please he's write it down, gives the rabbi and, and he dies the rabbi puts a piece of paper in his pocket and he goes to the funeral home he, he's giving the eulogy now, he says, by the way this is the person's last message oh, God. he takes out a piece of paper he says, get off the air pipe oh. <laughs> it's just a joke, I'm saying it's a joke, it's a horrible joke no, I'm just saying <laughs> it's a joke <laughs> Sometimes we have to what know what we realize. The air pipe is the air that put it pumping air the into, his, into his lungs, the oxygen. Uh-huh. And the rabbi's standing on the pipe. Oh, oh the rabbi. <laughs> Get it. You get it? Okay, it's a joke. It's a horrible joke, as I said. You don't joke. finish the story, though. That's the end of the story. They probably killed him. I don't know what happened to him. Imagine reading that. It's a joke. Rachel, calm down. It's a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. It never happened. It never will happen. Because they don't put pipes on the floor. Okay. Are you sure this book is called Happiness? This is not the book. This is my. Uh, that's why I don't like to say that joke. Okay. Okay, let's move on to the next chapter to make us happy. Page 53. Make music in your mind. Wow. Wow, what a great idea. You know, I have a son like that. He's just playing music in his mind all the time. He's always singing and dancing. Oh, how nice. 
I wish he would stop. <laughs> <laughs> the Rabbi Lub- uh, Lublin, Rabbi Meir Shapiro, the Jose of Lublin, he says, when you attend a wedding, take the band with you. I mean, take the band with you. You have to feel like you have a band in your head so you can be happy. And if you can't be happy in a wedding, what's the use of going to the wedding? Your whole mission of the wedding is to cheer people up. So if you go to the wedding and you're, you're miserable and you can't cheer yourself up, how can you go and cheer people up? You have to be able to cheer people up. So he says, take the band with you. <coughs> Everything we do in life, we should do with joy. He says, even dying. He asked his students to dance and sing around his bed. Isn't amazing? Where to go? Who, who did that? Jose de Lublin. Lublin. Mayor Shapiro. Jose de Lublin. Wherever you are, wherever you go, you can create a mental symphony orchestra. Today we don't need to just put your... Today it's amazing. You can really take it with you. You can take your phone, you put your earphones, you walk around the street, the music, the cars, boom, 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 and they want, they want you to share in their simcha. Disaster, the bass, oh god, drives you nuts. You have the guy next to you in the, in the car with a high bass, and boom, god, your whole car is shaking, boom, 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 boom. But he's sharing his joy with the world, that's his joy. I don't know how long he'll be alive to hear his, his voice before his, his hearing goes. It's very bad, the hearing in, uh, in the weddings, they go, you know, you've got to take earplugs with you. And my hearing is going, my left ear. It's very dangerous, it's very dangerous. So I'm supposed to be careful. But people want to share their joy, so they'll blast their music all times of night. So wherever you are, wherever you go, you can create a mental symphony orchestra. If you prefer, you can create a lively band playing simple tunes. And if you become more of an expert on this, you can increase the amount of musical instruments you will see and hear in your brain. You can imagine the sounds. I have a son who does it. I don't know who does it. He's hearing the music all the time. Isn't that amazing? You can have as many drums as you wish in your mind. You can put as many drums as you wish. You can have pianos, violins, harps, guitars, horns. This is beautiful, right? Ramam says, if you feel sad, listen to music. Music has got a very, very uplifting, not heavy metal, <laughs> not, not rap. They say rap, the monkeys like rap. That's not music. That's the latest uh, research. In my opinion, that's not music. Exactly. Not mine either. Thank God. So Ramam says, listen to music. So nowadays, we don't have to worry. We've got, we got so many different kinds of sources of music. There's so much we can hear. It's amazing. You can download any music you want. Today, you have access to anything. However, if it's in your brain, it's even better. If you're playing music in the brain, it's even better. And, you know, it's, Shabbat it should come out. Shabbat it should come out. The music of Shabbat should come out from the, head, the mouth. The house should be full of songs on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Shabbat songs. How can you live in a house with no songs? And my daughter is my mashkiach. She's my mashkiach. Here's the books. Come on, start singing. <laughs> She's the mashkiach. Can't wait till she grows up, boy. <laughs> All right, that's good. Baruch Hashem, the good children. Thank God. To have good children is really the biggest bracha you can have. Thank God, the biggest bracha you can have. So it's not, but you should complain. Baruch Hashem, a million times. So with the orchestra of band is in your brain, you can play any song you want, anytime you feel like it. <clears throat> Intensify this, it's an amazing gift, right? You can imagine imagining, imagining music, and they can turn the music up, put the music down in the brain. Like, what a great technique to be happy all the time. Play slow, soft music. Imagine you're walking around, you're really upset. You play the slow, soft music in your brain. So uh, there's nothing you can do. What you can do? Say, listen, everything is in God's hands. That's what I do. I tell myself, everything is in God's hands. What can you do? You're stuck in the parkway. What are you going to do? You're going to be late for school. What can you do? It's all in God's hands. Say it to feel out. 
And what do we say? Tefillah is the thing. The traffic opens. It's amazing. I've tried it. It's open. It's just amazing. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I see miracles. Every day I see miracles. So play soft, slow music. Even people who cannot carry a tune can create their own music. Since only you will hear it, no one else has to listen to your music. You put music in your head. Such a be- What a gift. You would think music all the time. You're supposed to play music in his head to calm themselves down. What a great way to be happy all the time. And I have a son who's happy, just music all the time. Boy. <coughs> Great. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, should we move on? No, we'll stop here. Because we have a heavy chapter next week. What do you enjoy next week? What do you enjoy? Do what you enjoy. Be a rabbi. That's what I enjoy. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. It's the worst job. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.